It is good to be with you all this morning. It's been encouraging to be here thus far, to be able to sing praises to God, and uh, just that alone is always uh, encouraging enough. For the next few moments, though, we're going to be studying His Word. If you'll go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 20, that's where we're going to start this morning. Judges chapter 20. Uh, as you're turning there, um, th- this morning what I want to talk about is uh, somewhat uh, uncomfortable due to its nature, but it is a part of God's Word, and, and it's so it should be talked about, it should be discussed, and it should be understood, and that is the topic of sin. And so what I want to do this morning is just go through very, uh, at least with this first hour, just go through a very basic study on uh, on the subject of sin on the word sin. And so I just want to go through three points. Uh, firstly, I want to define sin. Secondly, I want to talk about the consequences of sin. And then thirdly, uh, conclude with the forgiveness of sin. And so uh, a lot of this might be review for most of you, for some of you. <clears throat> but uh, at the very least, it's it's a good review. And it's it, uh, my hope is that at the very least we can, after this study, fight against sin better, fight against temptation better, or at the very least understand it more and be able to serve God and praise Him better than before. So let's go ahead and start by defining sin. The Hebrew word, and I'm just going to say from the outset, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it right, but I believe that it would be pronounced kata. And what that word literally means is uh, to miss the mark or to fall short. Or to come up short. So in Judges chapter 20, in verse 16, uh, it's uh, talking about uh, some of the choice men of of Israel. And it talks about, in verse 16, how among all this people were 700 select men who were left-handed. And everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. That word there for miss is kata. So what what it's kind of saying is uh, that they could... Uh, swing a stone, uh, sling a stone in, at a hair's breadth and not sin, not kata. So it's kind of uh, that uh, definition there. And in Proverbs chapter, uh, Proverbs 19 and verse 2 in the ESV, it says, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. And literally what it's saying, it's using that same word, whoever makes haste with his feet sins. They've missed that mark. They've missed their de- destination. You know, we've all been, we've all been there when we've gone, gotten to the train tracks. We've gone too far. We've we've sinned in in, in that regard. And so, what what I want to take from this, as we start out by trying to define sin, is what that means for us, is whether I'm off by a mile, or I'm off by an inch. I've still missed that mark, and that mark is the glory of God, the the uh, the glory of the Creator. And so, um, two, there are two elements to this, and we have to kind of balance this out. Uh, sometimes, sometimes when we're talking about missing that mark, what what I do want to say is this: because you can miss it by a mile or by an inch. Sometimes when we send the physical consequences um, are greater than others. For, for instance, if you lie, there, it might be uh, less, uh, less extreme consequences than if you uh, 
went out and did and you completely disobeyed your parents were completely rebellious and you you went out past curfew and you didn't come home at all and so there are going to be physical consequences that are greater uh, varying depending on the sin depending on uh, the mistake and a part of that when we think about the physical consequences that's true in the Old Testament when we look at different sins uh, the punishment for different sins you think about when uh, a, a woman or a man was caught committing adultery there was no sacrifice for that sin the, pun- the penalty was death uh, and, and yet, for all these other th- for all these other sins, there was sacrifice of a lamb, or sacrifice of a dove, or all of these uh, different type of offerings. And yet, for that sin, God says there is there is no sacrifice. The penalty is death. So I think we can still kind of see it there that there's some um, consistency throughout the scriptures in that regard. But also, when we think about being caught up in sin, and and fighting against sin, sometimes. Depending on where you are, how far you've gone, it could be harder to get back to the mark. And so uh, I just want to use this quick illustration. My roommate has a dartboard in his room, and sometimes we'll, we'll play with each other. Uh, he's had this for a while, and I've never played this game until I moved in with him. When he throws, when either of us throw, we're trying to hit the bullseye. We're trying to hit the mark. Now, when Jeremy throws, he's trying to hit that mark. He might, be, he might slightly miss it, and he might go up above it just by an inch, and he hits the 20. That's still a good number. That's the highest number on the board. And so when I throw, I completely miss the target. I hit the wall. Now there's, there's padding on the sides of the dartboard because of how many holes that I've accidentally put into this wall. And so I say all that to say this. All Jeremy has to do is make a slight adjustment. That's my roommate's name. Uh, All he has to do is make a slight adjustment because he's only an inch off. Whereas I I have, am I even throwing the dart right? Am, am Am I even hitting the board? I have to work on my form. I have to figure out how hard I have to throw it. I have to make radical changes. And that's the same way it is with sin. Depending on what we're caught up in, depending on how far we've let it go, Sometimes all, sometimes all it takes is just a slight change. Sometimes it takes a radical adjustment when we're, when we're talking about sin. So as, as we go on defining sin, I think it would be a good idea to uh, kind of describe how God views sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 16, he says that all who practice unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, or all the unrighteous are uh, an abomination to him. And your version might say, detestable to me, to the Lord your God. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 2, in verse 22, and I'm going to go ahead and read this. I'm reading from the New King James uh, Version. Jeremiah 2, chapter 22, it reads, For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. And that word marked, your version also might say stain. So he says, your iniquity is stained before me. So there's this idea of something that you cannot look past. Uh, You think about a bride who has a beautiful 
white gown on, spotless, without blemish. Can you imagine what would happen if somebody accidentally spilled red hot sauce on that dress before the ceremony? Devastation. I mean, that would be the, there are some people that would be the end of the world. And I'm, I'm getting married soon, and, and let me just say, I, I don't think I'm overstating it. I think I might be understating it. But, and, and that's a humorous example, but you think about that. This white, spotless dress, now there's a red, very, uh, very visible mark, very visible stain on that dress. Now, you're not focused on the beauty of the bride. It, it's hard to be focused on the beauty of the bride. You are fixated on this stain. And you can't look past it. If you'll turn to Hosea, Hosea chapter 7, Hosea chapter 7, starting in verse 1, he says, When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered, and the wickedness of Samaria. For they have committed fraud, a thief comes in, a band of robbers, robbers take spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. So again, thinking about what sin, how God views sin. This kind of goes back to the stain on the, on the wedding dress. It's something that must be addressed. It's something that can't be looked over. He says in Hosea chapter 7 verse 2 that, that, we are sur- that, uh, that their own deeds, the, their sinful deeds, the wickedness surrounds them. They are ever ever before my face. And so when, when we're talking about God and sin, it's something that God says something has to be done. I can't just overlook this. And we're going to talk about this more when we get to the consequences of sin. But you think about how we look at abortion and how terrible we find that. It's something that, that something cries out within us, and we almost want to make that as loud as possible. It's something that we can't necessarily be quiet about. It's something that we can't move forward with un- until it's fixed, until the, the massacre of the innocents is, is stopped, is ceased. Think about when we think about that, that awful, awful action, the murder. It's detestable, and, and it's repulsive, and, and we are disgusted by it. And we, and we say to them, you, I mean, this is murder. You have blood on your hands. It's disgusting. If you'll turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. In verse 3, he says, For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. So again, this idea, your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. I wonder what that, it's not very hard to imagine what he means by that. Your, your fingers are, are covered with, or, or uh, your fingers are covered or defiled with iniquity. Now, this is a point where Israel had just gone so far. They they had gone too far. They had gone way beyond where they were supposed to be. They weren't acting as God's holy people were supposed to be, as God's chosen holy nation. And when we're, again, going back to sin, this is how God sees it. It is is repulsive. 
and it's something that cannot be looked over. So now that we've kind of talked about how, how God views sin, now we need to look at how, how we ought to look at sin. Not necessarily how we do look at sin, because quite often we don't look at it the way we should. We, and really what we need to be doing is what we've already said. We need to be looking at sin. We need to view sin the way God views sin. But I, won't, I do want to go through a few examples. You think about whenever someone in the Bible, a character in the Bible, came uh, close to God's uh, divinity, close to God's glory. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves and they hid in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses uh, uh, spoke with God at the burning bush, what did Moses do? He hid himself. He, he, he hid his face from the glory of the Lord. He uh, humbled himself. He was afraid. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, when, when Jesus uh, is with the disciples, and he, he, uh, Peter is among the disciples, and he tells them to, to go out and to... Get enough, to drop the nets one more time, even though all night they had gotten nothing. And so they do this, and they get this incre- ridiculous amount of fish. Absurd. It, they should not have gotten this amount of fish. How does Peter react? He gets down on his knees and he says, Depart from me. Depart from me. Why? For I'm a sinner. We, we see what happens when Peter comes uh, into contact with uh Jesus, God on earth. And in Isaiah, the same book that we were just in, Isaiah chapter 1. Or Isaiah chapter 6, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter 6 in verse 5. I do want to read this. Starting in verse 1. Uh, of Isaiah chapter 6, actually. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, this is Isaiah, after seeing the glory of the Lord. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Why? I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so we see, I I wanted to read that because we see Isaiah, who was called by the Lord to be a spokesman for him, who was called to be a prophet, one who was called by the Lord specifically. And yet even he, when he sees the glory of the Lord, he says, (laughs) I am am not righteous enough to be be even seeing the covered glory of the Lord. I, I can't be... He, he's terrified. And let me just say, I, I don't think that it's... We look at, uh, like I, uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when he, hides, when he humbles himself and he can't, he's so afraid to look, I don't think that's necessarily a bad response. Because again, uh, Moses, uh, who is described as, as the meekest out of all of um, Israel, and gets to see God face to face, we see how that uh, relationship ends up. And he, and he 
he, he, well, not sees God face to face, but he talks to God, and he talks to God directly, and he does so for Israel. And I, I say that to say this, they all started in the same way. They all hid from the glory of God. They, they all hid from the glory of God because they knew that they were not righteous enough. They knew they weren't holy enough. They knew that they were sinful. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips and, and, and among a people of unclean lips, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And no matter how well you may be living life, I'm striving to do everything that I can for the Lord, and I'm striving to to conform my life and conform myself to His Word. But let me tell you, if I saw the glory of God today, it doesn't matter how good I'm living. It doesn't matter how good I've been doing. I'm going to fall on my knees, and I'm going to hide my face from Him uh, because of His holiness, because, because of His holiness, and because I know that I am a sinner. And I know... Uh, like Isaiah, that I am a sinner in the midst of a holy, uh, seeing the glory of a holy God. So, now that we've kind of uh, defined sin, kind of talked about what that means, what it is, now we need to move on to the consequences of sin. And this might be the part that is uh, the most review, um, but it's still something that needs to be talked about nonetheless. So, firstly, what I do want to say is uh, sin is deceitful. And you're like, oh, wow, that's that's one of your points. Okay, that's good. And, and, and this is review again. But sin deceives us, and it makes us blind to the truth of our sin. And it's amazing because it uses itself to blind us from itself. And there are a lot of things we could talk about. We could get on several tangents, and I'm, I'm going to try to stay on topic. But when you uh, look at a verse that we all know, Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. I think some, I, I, it's, good, it's a good verse to memorize, and, and it's good that, that we uh, try to commit that to memory as much as we do, but sometimes I do believe that it becomes cliche. Who was Paul writing to? He was writing to people who did not realize that they were sinners. He was writing to people uh, that thought, okay, the Gentiles are sinners, but I'm... I'm I'm a part of God's chosen people. He starts off by saying, Gentiles are sinners. Yeah, uh, but so are you Jews. Uh, and, and he goes on and finally says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I, I use that to say this. When we look at the context, Paul is writing to a people who don't realize that they are themselves sinners. And that is, the, that is one of the strengths of sin. It, it, it can so easily blind us so very quickly before we even know it, when we tamper with it, it can blind us and deceive us into, think, into uh, thinking nothing about it until it's too late or until something major happens. But, it, and that's kind of, when, when, we're, when we are trying to live for God, it kind of goes into, we need to have a self-awareness about us. When it comes to sin and temptation, a lot of times, and I'm not saying this is all of the time, sometimes we can make very conscious decisions to sin against God and, and to miss the mark and to not do what we know God's Word says. But honestly, a lot of the time, people are not thinking. And as Christians, we, are not, we can't be like that. We, we need to strive to, to strengthen our resolve in the Word uh, so that way we might not sin against Him. And Psalm, it reminds me of that verse, Psalm 119 
verse 11, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against me. We need to strive to make sure that, that we are committing these passages to memory and striving, uh, doing that for the purpose of, of living and conforming our lives to God. Because, it, it, again, we, we need to be self-aware so that way we don't get into that, we don't fall into that trap uh, of uh, temptation and sin and stay in it and become blind to it like uh, the Jews so often did. But also, as we talk about the consequences of sin, sin brings forth death. In Romans chapter 5, again in Romans, Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, again another verse that we all know uh, very well. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And so, uh, again, this is a verse that we know very well. In James chapter 1, uh, in verse 15, it says essentially uh, the same thing, but a bit differently. In James chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So, when we are tampering with sin... We got to realize, especially as Christians, we are tampering with death. We are tampering with uh, potential uh, eternality. Uh, if we are, if we are tampering with sin, and that is the end. That is the last thing that that we are uh, about. That is the last thing that our lives are centered around. That's that's the eternality about it, and, and we can't go back. We we need to be. Fully aware of, of what we are doing, you need to be fully aware of sin, so that way we don't fall into that trap and stay there. Uh, but along these lines, sin brings forth death because it requires a death. That that is why it brings forth death. If you turn to Hebrews, just a couple pages over, Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. Starting in verse 18, Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 18, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So what we find is the, the same story told from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. The sin brings forth death, and sin an atonement for sin requires death. Remission of sin requires the shedding of blood, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 9. And so I, before I move on, I, I do want to make this point. And we're going to kind of get to this when we talk about the forgiveness of sin. But when we talk about a death required, I think you all are well-versed enough, you all are smart enough, you know where I'm going with that, that requires a death, that required the death of Jesus. And so here I think that we're faced with a question from God, an ultimatum, an easy ultimatum, if I may say. 
here God is saying, uh, especially for, for these people that are reading about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, the writer, uh, we don't know who he is, the writer sa says these things, and what essentially God is giving us is saying, there is a death required. There's going to be a death required of your sin. You can choose which death you want. You can choose your own death. You can choose to stay in this sin, and you can choose to, to die eternally, to be in eternal death, or you can choose the death that I'm providing for you. You can choose the one that I've already gave. And that seems like a really easy answer. It doesn't seem like a hard ultimatum. But, uh, again, sin is deceiving, and it's, and it's blinding. And sometimes we forget that, and we need to remember that there is death waiting at the door. We just need to fit, we just need to choose between which which death we want, the death that Christ gave, the de Christ's death, or choose our own death and follow that to the very end and see where that takes us. But uh, moving on, also when we talk about uh, sin and death, obviously that we talk about separation from God in Isaiah ch chapter fifty nine. We were there just a moment ago. Read verse three. This time I want to read the first two verses of Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor, is, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So, uh, Again, when we're talking about separation from God, sin causing separation from God, this is uh, this is not to say that God. Uh, this is not to say that God is not capable. What it is saying, though, is you are choosing, kind of like what we were just saying. You are choosing which path you want to go down. You can choose His death. You can choose your own death. You are the one choosing. But God cannot be a part of that lifestyle. God cannot be a part of your sin. You think about Exodus chapter 33 when right after the Israelites had betrayed God and they had worshipped the golden calf that they had made. They had worshipped the idol that they had just made that Aaron helped them make. In Exodus chapter 33 he tells Moses you go on. He's, he's already shown the mercy in Exodus chapter 32. He relents of the disaster he was going to bring on Israel. He says, I was going to destroy them. He already has shown him mercy. But in Exodus chapter 33, we get a little bit deeper. And before they go on, God says, you go. <laughs> you go ahead. I cannot be among them. If I'm among them, I will consume them. And this kind of goes, I think this kind of goes back to what we talked about, especially with Isaiah, uh, you know, God being so holy and, and His glory, uh, because of His holiness, sinfulness cannot be a part of that. Sinfulness cannot be a part of God, and God cannot have any part of sinfulness. So when, when, we, when we think about that, I, I think it makes sense. Again, there's mercy there still, but He still says, I, I cannot be a part of that. It has to be dealt with. There's something that must be done before I can dwell among them. There's something that must be done uh, because, of, because of their sinfulness. And that takes us to the conclusion of the lesson this morning. And that takes us to the forgiveness of sin. And so after all this, this hard discussion, uh, we finally get to 
a, a good point, a high point, a hopeful point. But, and that is true, but I think that there's also tragedy as, as we think about this. Because uh, w- when we read Second Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, when he says, God is not slow concerning his promises, as, as some count slackness, let's just go ahead and turn there so that way I don't butcher the verse. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, in, in spite, despite of our wickedness, God still wants, and He still gives us time to abandon them. And there's something there that, that we can that I don't think we realize enough. He gives us time every single day that we have. That's more time that God is giving us. More time to conform to His Word. More time to abandon sin. To abandon sin. To turn from it. Forsake it. And commit ourselves to Him. And this is why I think uh, there, it's still, it's, it's so beautiful, but it's also tragic at the same time because going back to Isaiah, last time you'll have to go to Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 1 this time. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 1. Again, uh, God's chosen people had, have gone too far. They, they have gone so far that they, they, they can't be associated with God. All the things, they are starting to act like the nations that He said when He gave them the law. I don't want you to be like them. Don't walk in their statutes. Walk in my statutes. Walk in my law, my word. But at this point, they had just gone so far. And uh, as you read throughout Jeremiah and Isaiah, we find that they had gone so far that they were sacrificing their babies to idols. And God says that this never even entered my mind. But here they are acting just like the rest of the the pagan nations. And so uh, this is what God says in the midst of all of that. And, and, And you think about all the time that has passed from when he gave them the law on Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, all the way to now, all the time that's passed, and he's let this go on. And you think this is the final straw. But in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse uh, 16, or actually, that's not the right verse. Isaiah chapter 1, in verse uh, 18, starting in verse 18. In the midst of all of this evil from his own people, he says... Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And so, I, this, is, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because I, I, I think it's so beautiful, and as I said, I think it's so tragic. Because here we have... A God that does not need to be saying this. When you think about what he's saying, this should be the other way around. This should be us saying, let us, let us try and make a bargain here. Let us reason together. And it's not, it's not the Israelites who are saying that. It's God saying that. It's God saying, please, just think about this. Think about what I've said. Think about what you're doing. Even as far as they have come, can you imagine the patience of God at this point, the long-suffering, all of these things that he's seen, and yet he's still saying, just come, 
let us reason together about this. Just come back to me. You can still do it. If you obey me, we can still make this right. And you know, we know how this plays out. We know how the story plays out. God's chosen people, they reject Him. They have a history of rejection. And they are ultimately dealt punishment through, through God's providence and through God's word, through His promises. So, But even still, we see the lesson there the time God gives us and, and just the, the mercy that He shows us every single day. No matter how far we go, he, every day we have, that's, that's mercy because He gives us time to repent. He gives us time to ask for His forgiveness. And so, the, one of the last verses that I would like to read is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, here Paul is talking to Timothy, and at this point he uses himself as an extreme example. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. In verse 16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, uh, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here he starts out by saying, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Let me show you, let me show you how far that goes. And he uses himself. One who persecuted the church one who Christ said you you are persecuting me when he when he showed himself to Saul uh, when he was Saul uh, on the road to Damascus and so we look at Paul we look at all the things he did and, and you think about all the things that the Israelites did you think that is a line too far that that is a line that they have crossed that they can't go back it's too far there's no way and yet Paul says this is a faithful saying, and it's, it's worthy of acceptance that Christ came to save sinners. He came even to save me, the chief of sinners. And, you know, thinking about that line, uh, especially with Paul, you think all the things he did, there's no way. You'd think that if there was a line, it would be when they put Jesus, God on earth, on the cross, and we, in our darkest hour, killed him, God on earth. And yet, what does Jesus say? Not even then. Not even that's too far. On the cross, while they're killing him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that is the beauty of the gospel. The the, when we think about sin, is the fact that God still gives us a chance to ask forgiveness, to, 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 to try to repent, to strive to repent. And he gives us time. And not even, not even for the people who put him on the cross, he said, not even then. Even for them, the, the invitation is extended. And so that's uh, how I would like to end this lesson. We extend Christ's invitation every service to emphasize that, that hard truth that our sins have separated us from God and that that sin has brought forth death in us. But we can obtain forgiveness because of His mercy, because of His grace, if we just accept Him, as He said in Isaiah chapter 1, if you just obey, 
and you come back to me. If you are at all subject to the invitation of Christ, whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian, please make your needs known to the congregation as we stand and as we sing.